This semester we're going through uh, Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. If you don't know this, the entire New Testament is just made up of letters that people wrote to other Christians. The entire New Testament is written to Christians. Okay, um, Colossians is a letter Paul wrote to a group of Christians at the town called Colossae, and so we call it Colossians. Um, we're going to go through that this whole semester. It's one of the shorter letters in the New Testament, uh, and, and Paul's writing this letter to a, a very, very young church. He'd never met this church, and when he was in prison, he was in prison multiple times, when he was in prison, he heard about this young church and wrote this letter to them to remind them of the good news of Jesus Christ, so to remind them of the good news, to challenge them to stand firm against the cultural tides and tensions of their culture, which were vying for their allegiance, and to grow in maturity, all of which I think will be so, so good for us uh, this semester. So tonight we're looking at Colossians 1, 1 through 14, which Matt just read a bit ago. It's on the digital order of worship. It's also in your Bibles. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, I'll get you one. Um, and, uh, and we're literally going to read every single verse this semester as we go through it. I encourage you to read it this semester alongside of us to ask what the Lord has in store um, for us. And I, I, just for the sake of time, I'm not actually going to go through all 14 verses with you today. Um, but but we, I want to point out a couple things. The first thing Paul does in this letter is he tells the Colossian people what he's thankful for, how he's praying for them, and then next week we'll see that he's also telling them what he's doing on their behalf. Here's what I'm thankful for, here's how I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm doing on your behalf. And I want you to notice that he does all of this before he gives them any advice. And now I just want you to imagine how different our world would be if we lived that way. What if we were thankful for people, prayed for people, and worked on their behalf before we gave them any advice? I'm reminded of a sketch from Bo Burnham right now that's inappropriate to say in this context. Um, what if we gave thanks and prayed and worked for the good of our roommates? What if we gave thanks and prayed and worked for the good of our parents and our teachers and our classmates and our bosses, our coworkers, our neighbors on social media? What if we did all of that before we gave them any advice? How different would the world be? So I just want you to notice that, the framework of the setup of this. By the way, in case you're interested, this is how God treats us too. He only gives us any kind of advice out of the context of a relationship in which he's already established that he's for us. But tonight I specifically want us to look at how Paul prays for the Colossians in verses 9 through 12. So if you want to orient your attention to those verses, that might be helpful for you. I'm going to um, say, say them many times word for word, but sometimes I'm going to paraphrase it there. But 9 through 12 is mainly where we're focusing. He prays for these people he's never even met. He's just heard stories about them. He prays they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing him. Do you know it's possible to please God? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Hashtag Eli. With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a loaded prayer. Here's the gist. He starts by praying that they would bear fruit and they would increase in the knowledge of God. 
That they would bear fruit and they would increase in the knowledge of God. These things go together. When you bear fruit, it's really exciting. And you want to learn more so that you can bear even more fruit. And if you've never noticed this before, maybe you haven't read any of the Bible before, and I'm just telling you this now. It's great. Um, the scriptures are always taking us back, or for you it's this way, to, to Genesis 1 and 2. They're always taking us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Always taking us back to God's mission and vision and design for the whole of the cosmos. Humans are the prized creation of God. So much so that he binds himself to her in a mystery that we will unfold for eternity. And when he creates humanity, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Friends, we were created to bear fruit. It's why when you labor over anything and it produces fruit, you feel alive. Like you were made for this. This is true in romance. It's true when we, when we garden, literally. My wife has been way into gardening since the pandemic hit. And, and every time any plant produces its first fruit, it's like a celebration and a whole feast gets made around a single pepper. It's so exciting. And you know what she wants to do immediately? Because it worked. Do more research. Get more stuff. Get to work so that it will bear even more fruit. It's true when we build something out of Legos. It's true in video games and sports and any manner of work. When we sweat over something and then we see some kind of fruit from it, it brings us joy and it sends us back to learning more that we might see more fruit. You see... It's just a very natural thing that we experience in our life. Maybe you don't name it. For most of you, if you're trying to figure out some of your calling, a huge clue is where is fruit born when you sweat a little? A lot of us spend a lot of energy doing stuff and nothing comes from it. <laughs> and it's like, well, maybe that's a clue. Uh, maybe you should take a right or take a left and try something else. You know, you can come to the discernment retreat in December and we'll talk more about that. The flip is, when we don't see fruit from our labor, it's so disheartening that we despair. It's almost dehumanizing because as humans, we were actually made to be fruitful. So laboring without fruit works against our nature. It's haunting to experience the impact of the curse in Genesis chapter 3 when we work and work and work and, we, and we're, we're tearing at the soil, trying to bring something out of this ground and we just get thorns and thistles. It just feels like, what's the point? There are so many angles of grief and despair and anger that are layered in what's going on in Afghanistan right now. And one of the angles is actually related, I think, to bearing fruit. I think about soldiers who've done tours of duty over there, risking their lives, spending years of time and energy and effort to affect change, and to see the cumulative effort of 20 years and tens of billions of dollars unravel in less than a week. And it just looks like all the labor has been fruitless. Regardless of your politics, when something like that happens, you're left with this question, what is the point? When we don't see fruit, we tend toward despair. And what's true everywhere else is also true for our faith. And so when Paul prays, he prays for fruit. 
And he actually gives us a clue as to how it happens. How can we be people whose lives of faith actually bear fruit? The Apostle Paul in his prayer suggests that this process gets started by being filled with the knowledge of God's will and then living accordingly. Filled with knowledge, living in light of it. This is how it gets started. This shouldn't come as a surprise, except for many of us when we think about faith, we we just throw out all the things that we know. And then we just go, whatever, you know. But this is true about so many things in our lives. Take working out, for example. You need to have some idea about what working out is and how to do it. That's knowledge. And then all you need to do is just apply the knowledge. That's it. And you, need, you live according to the knowledge that you received. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to start seeing fruit. And then that fruit, because you'll be excited about it when you see it, will make you want to learn more in order to get more fruit, you see? So too with our faith. I want to have some knowledge about what the will of God is, and then I need to live accordingly. In other words, if, if this prayer is a prayer I have for you, it is, then one of the things you can expect in this community is that we are going to tell each other what the will of God is. What I can't do is make you walk in it. That's your choice. But if you wonder why you're not seeing fruit, it m- might be just because you don't know, but we can definitely take care of some ignorance. It's a dangerous thing to do that. But then you've got to walk in it. You know, Somebody could read all the books they want about working out. I know a lot of stuff about working out. I grew up with two parents who are bodybuilders. I haven't been to a gym in a couple years. Knowing a ton of stuff about it, having it be a part of my history. I literally grew up with parents as bodybuilders. Crazy fact. Fun fact. Uh, and that doesn't help my body get in shape at all, turns out. Preaching about my parents being bodybuilders doesn't get me in shape at all. There's some other folks in this room who also have a mom who's a bodybuilder. <laughs> uh, so, um, I actually need to go to the gym and apply the knowledge, right? So too with our faith. So too with our faith. Paul's praying that the faith of the Colossians would bear fruit. And he prays for a second thing in verse 11, that they would be strengthened, and paraphrasing, for all endurance and patience with joy and that they would give thanks. Okay, this is loaded words. I just... I'm going to repeat these words. I want you to think about these words and the weight of these words just for a second. Strengthened for endurance and patience with joy and giving thanks to the Father. How much do we too need strength, endurance, patience, and joy and to be people of gratitude? It strikes me that many of us do not feel strong enough to tackle the things of this world that we feel like we might be called to. It's why we even have a word like adulting, because we don't feel ready yet to be an adult. And those of us in the West, and particularly those of us that look somewhat like me, are not very well known for our endurance. Some of us even just claim impatience as a personality trait. And joy... Do y'all know that Frederick Nietzsche said the greatest indictment against Christians is that they don't have joy? Given what they say they believe, how can they not have joy in the present circumstances of this world? What? I just want to ask you a question. When the world sees us, do they see people who endure and are patient with joy? I want to be careful right now. We tend to be very egocentric in America. There are Christians around the world for whom we would say exactly that. Matter of fact, maybe most Christians throughout history, you might say exactly that. 
I'm not quite sure, you know, wearing the clothes that we wear at public universities in the middle of a city with iPhones and air conditioning and all these things. I know we're still wearing masks. And we got all sorts of trauma and things. I know, I know, I know. I submit to you that most Christians throughout the world and throughout history are actually known for their endurance and their patience with joy and their gratitude. I don't know if that's what we're known for in the West. This is white Christians. I don't think we're known for that. And I don't think we're known as grateful people. I don't think we enter into relationships with gratitude. I don't think we read Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church when he says, give thanks in all circumstances. We constantly find reasons for why we don't need to be thankful right now. If you just understand my circumstance, you would understand why I'm not grateful. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that we talk about. But are we known as people of gratitude? Buckle up, because throughout this very small letter, Paul's going to come again and again and again to how central gratitude is for the people of God. This is a loaded prayer. But Paul prays for this stuff, that they would bear fruit, that they would be strengthened with all God's might for all endurance and patience with joy and give thanks to the Father. Who's, I mean, it's huge stuff. And he prays for all of this with confidence, even over people he's never met, because he knows what Christ has done. We're going to bring it home by looking at verses 12 through 14. Jesus Christ has secured an inheritance for his people. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The language just gets bigger. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to notice, if you pay attention to the language, Paul talks about this like it's already happened. Because it has. Paul's confidence is in what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, and has promised to finish. His confidence isn't because of how moral the Colossians are. It's not because of their knowledge of theological things or how well they can answer religious questions. His confidence doesn't come from the fact that they never doubt. His confidence doesn't come from their sexual purity. His confidence doesn't come from how they camp up in their various tribes. His confidence isn't rooted in them at all. His confidence for why he's praying what he prays is rooted in Jesus. Friend, if you and I get to talking, one of the things that I hope you find out is that I believe God will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine with your life. I believe you're amazing. I believe that, that your sin not only doesn't define you, but it doesn't get the last word. I believe that even if you feel like you're in despair, you're actually in the sure and steady hands of God, perfectly situated for God to give you the inheritance that he's keeping safe from you. I'm not anxious for you at all. I'm so hopeful and filled with a sense of anticipation and wonder for you. And the reason why isn't because of your Enneagram type. It's not because of the way that you dress or how socially adept you are even after a year and a half of a pandemic or the way you perform or tell stories or the books that you read or the accolades that you already have or, the, or how you brand yourself on social media. The reason that I have hope for you is because of Jesus. He made you, he sustains you, he's redeeming you, he's for you. And if he's doing all of this with you, then I want to sit at his feet and marvel at the wonderful thing that he's made and ask how I can participate in his wonderful creation of you. My confidence for your life is rooted in Jesus. I already know a ton about you when we meet. 
The entire inheritance of Jesus is yours. You and I may just meet Christian, but we have eternity to get to know each other. And God has already delivered you, already delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. The New Testament authors speak of this like a citizenship transfer because of what Jesus did. You are now citizens of God's kingdom. And one of the strangest things about Christianity, in other words, one of the strangest things about the truth of the world, is that the verdict comes before the trial. These are Tim Keller's words. The verdict comes before the trial. Think about that for a minute. Maybe you think God is still deciding what he thinks about you. But that's not the truth of it, friend. He has already definitively decided that. He did it when he made you. He proved it on the cross. He's proving it now as he's sustaining your very life. And he will demonstrate it in glory at the end of all things. He loves you. Jesus Christ has already come in. And he's taken off the chains. And he's kicked open the freaking prison door of of the cell. And he's invited you to walk out into the light. That's already happened. But I know many of us are still sitting around wondering if we're free. You know, we look around and we're like, I'm still in the prison cell. Still smells like a prison. Still looks like a prison. Still dark in here. I mean, the door's open. And because of Jesus, you can walk at any time you want. I don't know where you are particularly tonight. Maybe you just need to be told. Maybe you've never been told this. That the verdict has already been declared over you. Maybe you've never been told that. God doesn't need you to do anything for him to decide what he thinks about you. He's not waiting for you in that regard. He's already declared it. And he's marshalling all the resources of his kingdom to confirm it. Maybe you just never been told that, friend. God loves you. You are loved and you are free in Christ. Maybe you need to be told that you can walk out the cell because of Jesus. Maybe, maybe all you've heard is that you need to punch some golden ticket to get to heaven or something. Maybe you don't know that the entire story is about heaven coming to earth. It's not about you going to the clouds. God actually wants you sent out into the world. He's planning on making this sucker new. You're going to live in redeemed... This isn't in my notes. I've got to be careful. It's in the Bible. It's just It's in the Bible. You're going to be resurrected in bodies. Your destiny is not in the clouds. I, I, would, lo- I would absolutely love to talk to you a ton about this. So hit me up, okay? Um, we'll talk. Uh, we'll hit it throughout this, this sermon series too, but we can talk about this for a long time. Um, maybe you just, maybe that's what you think, is that like you need to make some internal mental note about what you think about God and just hold on for dear life and not lose it. You know, and then, and then you're getting into heaven or something. Maybe you don't know that God has actually done a work in order that you might live differently. Walk out the cell. One of the reasons that you might feel like you're in despair is because you don't see fruit from your faith. And the reason why you don't see fruit from your faith is probably because you're not living according to the will of God. And so just be, that's not a conversation about whether God loves you. Just saying you may not see fruit because you haven't done it. Jacob Chesterton, one of my heroes, he said Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. We're sitting in our cells and I'm like, but it's scary out there. At least I get three square meals a day in here. You know, you don't see the fruit. You want to know where joy and hope and life come from? It's from being somebody who bears fruit. It's so exciting. When you get to be a part of life coming into the world, friends, it's beautiful. 
Maybe you just need to be told to walk out the cell. Maybe you already know all this and you're walking in freedom and you're seeing fruit which comes from that. I suspect God has placed in your life your friends, your family, your coworkers, your classmates who need to hear the good news that they are loved from on high and that God has freed them in Jesus Christ. You, in other words, need to take up the call of Jesus and start proclaiming liberty to captives. All I know is that my prayer for you is the same as Paul prayed for the Colossian church. And I have the same confidence that Paul had in Jesus. Friends, I'm grateful for you. This is a huge gift. Nobody earns the right to get to proclaim this stuff in front of you guys. It's a, it's a delight to be here. I pray that you are filled with the knowledge of God's will in order that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing every, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And may everything we do in worship, our prayers, our gatherings, and the ways we talk to each other on social media, in the careers that we take, the texts that we send, even the ways we privately just think about ourselves and one another, may it all bear fruit of the kingdom of God in this world. I pray for that. As we begin the school year together, whatever is in front of us, and I know it... It's such a fascinating time because statistically speaking, this is the safest we've ever been in the history of the world. Literally, it's the most cush thing in the history of the world. But, 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 but we still experience so much fear, so much anxiety, so much trauma. Think about what that means for everybody else who's ever lived in this world. I don't want us to set our sights on just getting, you know, good grades. I think it's worth considering if Jesus was a student, if Jesus were a student, would he get good grades? Would he study? Would he respect his professors? Would he read his coursework? How would he decide? Which, that's a great, fascinating question to ask and worth asking, okay? But, but, but where are you setting your sights What's like the ultimate aim here? Is it just getting good grades or a job or getting married or building a savings account or carving out a little quiet, secure space in this world where I don't have to think about all the problems? I want you to think way, way bigger at the start of this school year. God is redeeming the cosmos and he's created you to play a part in it with him. And since he will finish what he started, I'm already grateful to see a little of what that looks like with you this year, and I'd love to be a part of it with you. Father, would you make all that we do in this place be received with joy and pleasure in your courts? And may all that you do in this place fill us with confidence that you are true to your promises. Equip us as we are sent out of here as servants of you and heralds of good news to a world dying for good news. Would you make us, the very people in this room, would you make us people who know we're loved and because of that, who are free to love, to love you and to love others as Jesus has taught us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.